so in Acts chapter 7, I'm, I tried five or six different ways to be able to do this whole chapter at once. It's just too many verses. It's like 60-something verses. And uh, it's just one big long sermon. Uh, Stephen is, if you hadn't been here, we've been walking through Acts. Stephen has been, last week Stephen was appointed as one of the six, uh, one of the seven, uh, we called them deacons, but they were servants. They were, they were men who were uh, in charge of putting you know, the food together. The, some widows were going without food and, and the church has grown in the book of Acts to about you know, 10,000 people, 12,000 people. If y'all, I'm gonna have to split y'all up now. If y'all gonna be talking the whole time, and so uh, the church has grown up. The church has grown to about ten, fifteen thousand people. It's too many people for all them to the apostles to uh, to uh, minister to, as far as making sure the widows were fed, making sure everybody the needs were met. So they appointed these seven men. Stephen was one of them. Now the writer of Acts, which is Luke, he he focuses on Stephen, and uh, Stephen's doing great miracles. He wasn't just a, a waiter, you know. He wasn't just a guy who was saying. You know, uh, he wasn't just some guy in charge of menial tasks. He was actually also a preacher, a man who was testifying, a man who was going and meeting needs and doing all these things. He was doing miracles. The apostles gave him apostolic authority to represent them. Uh, And so he was also doing wonders and signs. And the people in the synagogues, the religious leaders were... Uh, they were opposing him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. He was preaching. I'm trying to give you a quick overview to get everybody caught up. He was preaching Christ as the fulfillment. Christ, the fulfillment of the temple. He's the fulfillment of the priests. He's the fulfillment of the sacrifices. He's the fulfillment of all the things that uh, they were, they had been doing for all these years. And of course, you're the high priest. You don't really like that because you're getting kicked out of your position. And Christ is going to come and take over your position. And people are going to go after the church. They're going to follow Peter and who's preaching about Christ. And you don't want that. So uh, they oppose him. They, they drag him into court. Does anybody remember Stephen's, this whole section in chapter 7 is going to be Stephen's speech. Now remember the context. He's standing in front of the Sanhedrin, standing in front of these men, these most powerful men in Jerusalem, and he is about to give his, I, I want to say his defense. They've, they've accused him of a crime. And so he's going to give his defense. But the funny thing about his speech is he doesn't really defend himself at all. I mean, he doesn't defend himself not one bit. In fact, he uses it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. He uses it as an opportunity to, uh, to basically call them out and say, you guys, you know, you killed the Messiah and you've, you're doing exactly what your fathers have always done. And so we're going to start reading it, but we're only going to get about halfway because, I mean, I can zip through it, but I would miss so much, so many things. I tried three or four different ways to do this, to, to outline it and write it out so I could get it all done in one, but I, I'm not going to be able to. The first thing, let me just give you a few things before we start so you know kind of where we're coming from, and then we'll start looking at what, what Stephen said. He has become uh, a covenant prosecutor. He is going to be prosecuting. It's it's amazing, really, because he's the one that's on trial. You remember the charges? What they charged him with last week? He was speaking against what? The holy place. That's going to be very important. They said, you're speaking against this holy place, which was temple. He was blaspheming God. He was speaking against who else? 
the law, yes. Those, those four things, Moses as well. He's, his, the charges were, this man here has decided to speak against the holy place. Talking about the holy land, the holy temple. He's decided to speak against, uh, they call it, he wasn't really blaspheming God, but to speak against the holy place, the law in Moses was to blaspheme God in their eyes. He was speaking against the holy place, he was speaking against the law, and he was speaking against Moses. Now, do you think he was really speaking against, did, he, did Stephen not like the law? What was he saying about the law? Was he speaking against it for really? What was he doing? He's preaching the same thing that we preach, which is what? Jesus is the fulfillment. the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of all those things. And so Stephen turns this whole thing around. Instead of being on trial, by the end of his speech, which we probably won't get to the end until next week, but by the end of his speech, they're on trial and they're guilty. And it's so funny to me that by the time he gets finished talking, they, the grown men, now grown men have their fingers in their ears... And they're running at him like, we're going to kill you. I mean, grown men. It even say, it says that in the Bible. That they put their fingers in their ears and they ran. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So there's three points that Stephen makes. Anytime you don't understand something, just stop me. Any questions, comments, cries of outrage, whatever, you just stop me and we'll talk about it. There's three points that Stephen makes through his whole sermon. So once we start reading it, I want you to look for these three points. The, the first one is that God's activity has never been in one place only. That was what their thing was. God is only active here in the temple. He's only active here in Israel, the Holy Land. He's only active here. Stephen is going to blow that out of the water. God has never been only active here. Uh, he's going to say that the holy place, the holy space, has never been in just one particular spot. That's what they were saying. They're saying you can't, you can't preach your message out there because God is only active right here. And he's going to say to these guys, God's messengers have always been rejected by Israel. And he's going to give examples of that. You understand? Everybody got that? Three things. God's activity has never been in one spot only. God's holy place has never been just in one location. And God's, uh, God's messengers that he has sent to preach his word have always been rejected by Israel. Always. And so he's going to end up saying to these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, he's going to say, you're doing exactly what your fathers did. I mean, you reject Jesus just like they reject Moses and they reject Joseph and, and all those things. Is there any questions? Okay. All right, here we go. Verse chapter 7. <clears throat> All right, Abraham. He breaks up into four sections. This is... We're not going to go through and talk about... It, it, I have, a, I have a, a, a temptation to preach these stories because he's going to talk about Abraham first, then he's going to talk about Joseph, then he's going to talk about Moses, and then he's going to talk about the time of David and Solomon. And we're not going to actually go and talk, preach about, teach about, talk about Abraham and get in depth of Abraham, get in depth. What I want you to see is what Stephen means. Why is Stephen saying the things that he's saying? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. So he's at, on trial, chapter 7, verse 1 says, Then the high priest... Then said the high priest, are these things so? And this is the beginning of Stephen's speech. He says, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. 
The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt at Haran or Quran, whatever. It's Haran, really. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into a land which I shall show thee. Then he came out of his land of the Chaldees and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he removed him into his land wherein you now dwell. So, He's telling, this is, listen, he's not giving a history lesson. You got to remember, the guys he's talking to, they know this history. They know it backwards and forwards. They've grown up learning it. They've, they, he's not doing this just to inform them. They know very well the history of Abraham. But what he's telling them is, you need to understand that God, I mean, Abraham traveled over a thousand miles. He went from the Euphrates River, Mesopotamia, all the way down to the Nile River, where, you know, that's where he told a lie about his wife, you know, saying that she's my sister. Then all the way back up to Haran, where he settled with his father. And during that whole time, God was with him. God came and appeared to him way over here in Mesopotamia. God came and appeared to him way over here in Egypt. Remember what happens? Anybody know what happened when Abraham tried to pawn his wife off as his sister and uh, Abimelech took her because he thought it was his sister? And what happened? Nobody knows. Huh? He got what? Well, I, yeah, but did God let... It was God who came to Abimelech in a dream and says... You finna, you finna get jacked up right here. You know, this is this guy's wife. And then Abimelech had to go to Abraham and say, why did you do this to me? Why did you, you know? So God was present with Abraham in Egypt. God was present with Abraham in Mesopotamia. God was present with Abraham in Egypt. God brought Abraham all the way to Haran where that's where he and his father settled. And when his father died, God came to Abraham again and said, I want you to leave this place and you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. You just start walking and I'll give it to you when I get there. So God was with Abraham in Mesopotamia. He was with him a thousand miles away in Egypt. He was with him in Haran. The point Stephen's making here, he's going to go down the history of, uh, of Israel and he's going to show that God has always been where his people dwell. God is not confined to a building. God is not confined to a, a special place. God's not confined to all these things. And he's going to culminate by saying, you guys, he's talking about to the, the Sanhedrin, you guys are falling into idolatry. You guys are idolizing this temple. You guys are idolizing this dirt that's under your feet rather than trusting in God who has always been with his people. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Any questions? Anything you want to say? He was active before. At this time, there was no such thing as holy land. There was no such, there wasn't even promised land. Abraham didn't know where he was going. God said, you just go and I'll tell you when you get there. There wasn't no promised land. There wasn't no temple. There wasn't no nothing. But, but God was with his people. God was working with Abraham. God was, God was moving and acting. Okay, and so uh, the point he's making was, was Abraham holy? If you would have asked these Sanhedrin guys if, 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 if they would have said Abraham was holy, what would they have said? Probably, yeah. yeah, they were all about Abraham. You remember when Jesus came and said, uh, you doing what your father did, what they say? They said, we, Abraham's our father. Yeah, Abraham's our father. And when the, the blind man was, uh, John chapter 9, when the blind man w received his sight back and they said, uh, who is this that made you well? Uh, the blind man said, 
you, this guy restored my sight and you don't know who he is? Would you like me to find out so you can be his disciples? You know, what'd they say? What'd they say, we're, we're Moses' disciples. You know, they were proud of their history. They were proud of their lineage. And they, they looked at it as if that made them right with God. Do people still do that today? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in going to church. I've been, you know, I've been... My parents drugged me there. You've heard that many times. I, you know, I, I whatever. I, my parents, my daddy was a preacher. My, you know, I, my family was missionaries, whatever. Does any of that make you right with God? Does coming into this building every Sunday make you right with God? No. God dwells with his people. Now, is that an excuse to say, hey, I can stay home and watch the football game? Huh? Oh, y'all, somebody better say no. <laughs> yeah. You've been in this class long enough to know that that ain't true. Right. It's with his people. It's his people. The church is not this building. It's his people. It's his people together. Okay, so he's saying that God was with his people. Now, let's read the next three. If you've got any thoughts, comments, some of y'all, this is quite a few of y'all. This is your first time in here with us. Just pipe up. We'll talk about it. We'll stop what we're doing. I've already said I'm going to break this into two Sunday school lessons. So we got plenty of time. Just We'll discuss anything you want to discuss. Any questions, comments? If you think I'm wrong about something, just tell me. We can talk about it. Verse 5 says, And he gave him no inheritance, none inheritance in it. Who are we him? Who is him? Who are we talking about? Abraham. And he gave, God gave Abraham none inheritance in it, no, not so much as set, not so much as to set a foot on it, yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to his seed after him when it was yet he had no child. And God spoke on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land. They should bring them into bondage and entreat them, uh, and entreat them evil 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that they shall come forth and shall serve me. And he gave a covenant of circumcision unto Abraham and beget Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac beget Jacob and Jacob beget the twelve patriarchs. So he goes, that's the whole story of Abraham. He stops right there. So he's giving us just a short little version of Abraham. But look at what he's saying. He's saying, look guys, you're so worried about this holy place. Remember, that's what they're accusing Stephen of, speaking against the holy place. Your father Abraham never owned a foot. Of this ground you're standing on. It was, it was given to him as a promise. And God gave him a promise. But Abraham never owned a foot of it. There was, he, he sojourned in tents as a foreigner. As an alien walking around in land. He never owned a single foot. In fact, the only thing that he was given was a promise. Now think about this. The Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish men that were there. that had These are the same men who had killed Jesus a few months before. These are the same men that had arrested Peter and John, as we saw in the early part of Acts, and then had arrested all the apostles. These are the same men. Now they're talking to Stephen. Now they've arrested Stephen. They brought him before the council. Stephen's given his defense. And Stephen's telling them, look, uh, he recounts first the story of Abraham. And he said, look, I know that you guys are, are, are thinking you got it going on because you're Abraham's descendants. But let's just start and look at your history. And let's see what, what we have here. Uh, Abraham never owned any of this land, but yet you consider him holy. You consider him the friend of God. You consider him God's man, but yet he never had any of this ground. He never had any temple. In fact, the only thing that Abraham had was a promise from God. 
And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and what? It was credited to him. It was credited to him as righteousness. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, the man that you're all looking up to, Abraham, he was right with God by faith. Mm-hmm. Not because he had a temple, not because he had a land, not because he was son of whoever, descendant from whoever. He was right with God by faith. And so he's trying to get them to see that Jesus and the church that Jesus founded is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament passages. It's the fulfillment of who the people of Israel were supposed to be. Jesus Christ is the true Israel. And anybody who finds themselves in Christ, anybody who's saved and in Christ, whether you're Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave or free, you are God's people. See what I'm saying? That's something that's bore out throughout the New Testament. And Stephen is trying to get that out. But he does it real subtly at the beginning. At the beginning, remember he said, men and brothers, you know, our fathers. He's putting himself in the deal. And so he's saying to Abraham, you know, he was... He was given a promise, and so he's just trusting God by faith. And that's what you guys are failing to do. That's what Stephen's telling the Sanhedrin. You're trusting in this temple. You're trusting in this land. You're trusting in who you are rather than trusting in God by faith. They were putting their faith in uh, the sign that God had given rather than the reality of what the sign pointed to. Does that make sense? Did that, did that come out right? Okay, the temple, the land, all of that pointed to something that was coming. The sacrifice pointed to something that was coming. What was the fulfillment? It was Jesus. He was the fulfillment of all those things. And rather than embrace the fulfillment of the promise, they were still holding on to what the sign was. They were still saying, no, we don't want the fulfillment of the promise. We want the sign to make us feel better. That's like if, uh, uh, if I go off on a trip for, for six months, right? And I got a picture of Dana in my wallet, you know? And for six months, I just miss her so bad. And so uh, she's actually going on a trip this week. And so I'm going I'm to miss you, baby. <laughs> and so I've got this. No, she's going by herself. She's going national. So if I have this picture of her, and I'm just looking over this picture every day, oh, I miss her, look at her, look at her eyes, look at her, you know, I'm just fawning over this little picture, right? And so the day that I get back home, here's Dana, and she's right here, and what I do is I come up and I say, hey, it's great to see you, and I sit down, I pull out that picture, and I go, oh, look at her eyes. <laughs> she, she's sitting right here. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, why would I keep on looking at the sign when the reality is right here? That's what these guys were doing. The temple, the sacrifices, everything in the Old Testament pointed forward. There is one coming. We saw the gospel proclaimed all the way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. He said, the seed of the woman is going to come and, and he, you're going to bruise, telling Satan, he said, you're going to bruise his head and he's going to... Uh, he's gonna, He's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. You've seen the gospel all the way in the beginning and everything in the Old Testament pointed to the fact that Jesus was coming. And when he finally arrived, instead of grabbing on to the fulfillment of the promise, they were still looking at the picture going, look at them. Look at their eyes. They're so pretty. They're so pretty. So that's what they were doing. And that's what Stephen's pointing out to them. That's why it may seem like, that's why I was real careful. If any of y'all have read this, read this over the last week, the 
in chapter 7, it's easy to get lost in it, isn't it? It's easy just like to go, it goes on and on and on. And it's like a history lesson. But the reality was that he wasn't trying to give them a lesson in history. He was telling them what history had pointed to. And they had to trust that this was the fulfillment of the promise. And that's what they didn't want to do. That's why they ended up, they ended up killing him at the end. So that's Abraham. And then he, uh, then he, uh, um, uh, well, one more thing that I, I forgot to mention as we read that was not only was Abraham not given the land, but when he was in the land, God told him, hey, not only are you not going to get the land, but I'm going to send your people down to Egypt. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. But God was with his people even in Egypt. For 400 years as they were slaves, as they were doing all those things, they were, they were, uh, God was with them. I don't know if we have any more chairs, but just bring that whole stack or whatever. You can put them back there. I'm going to use this opportunity to drink some coffee. I guess we're taking a break. Y'all smoke them if you got them. It's a movement. What desolation? It's the election year, and it's never more desolate than it is on the election year. Oh, okay. You know that. Yes, right. All right, so we go from Abraham's. Any questions about what Stephen's doing, about what's going on? Okay, we're going to get to... I'd love to get all the way, because really the punchline of this whole teaching of what Steve is doing is at the end, and we're just not going to have enough time to get through it unless we really, really hurry. So he goes from Abraham to Joseph. In verse 9 and 10, he, he switches now to Joseph. He says, and the patriarchs, what are patriarchs? The, it's the same no, no. The, <laughs> the patriarchs are the fathers. That's patriarch means father. The fathers, he's talking about the fathers of the Jewish nations, the twelve brothers of Jacob, so he's talking about. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So he moves from Abraham to Joseph, right? You remember what happened with Joseph? Somebody give me just a quick brief what happened to Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he went on to Egypt, and there he was, he was able to give the... Uh, Are you going to answer every question? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, I love you. That was Beth that said yes, by the way. Hey, Jennifer, that was, that was exactly right. She was absolutely right. Joseph's brothers sold... I'm sorry. Jo- <laughs> Joseph's brothers... That was bad, wasn't it? I was rude. You know I'm a, I'm a butt. Joseph... Say that again. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That was the right answer, though. I was just wanting to give everybody else a chance, too. I had a phenomenal teacher growing up. You did a good job, Miss Judy. You're going to have to chastise me when it's over. Okay. Don't hurt my baby. Did I hurt her? Did I hurt your feelings? Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Class is over. Y'all go home. All right. 
Yes, as a matter of fact, Jennifer was absolutely right that the, the brothers sold Joseph into slavery and they beat him, threw him in a pit and sold him into Egypt and he had to go off into Egypt away from the Holy Land but God was with him. God was with him as they were beating him. God was with him as they, he was thrown into a pit. God was with him as he was in Egypt. What's Stephen's point right here? God is always with you. I'm sorry, Jennifer. That was rude. All right. So God was with God was with him. I'm not usually that rude, Emma. Okay. All right. The point he's making is that God sent a man that he chose. He chose Joseph. And he gave Joseph dreams. Remember the dreams Joseph had where Joseph told his brothers dreams and they didn't like it. God chose this man Joseph to bring his word to uh, the fathers. And the fathers of Israel rejected God's messenger. This is going to be one of many times that God's people, quote unquote, rejected the messenger that God sent. Instead of accepting Joseph, instead of instead of loving Joseph, receiving the word that Joseph was giving him through his dreams, they they rejected him, they threw him in a pit, they sold him into slavery, and God, it doesn't say God was with the brothers, it says God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph in Egypt. Not only did God protect Joseph while he was in Egypt, but God raised up Joseph so that he was second in charge only to Pharaoh. He they protected him while he was in prison, protected him while he was in Potiphar's house. If y'all don't know these stories, I think that it was in Genesis um, uh, it's probably from 33 to 50 is Joseph's story. And then by the time it was all over, God had to bring all of Israel to Egypt in order to save them. Now think about what he's saying here. Think about what Stephen is trying to get across here. Your, your fathers were living in the Holy Land. And your fathers rejected the messenger that God had sent them. That sound familiar? What do you think he's comparing it to? Okay, now nobody's going to answer because I, I'm such a... What? Yeah, he's comparing Joseph to Jesus. He's going to compare Moses to Jesus. He's going to do all these things. And so he, he's showing them that what they're doing right now in rejecting Jesus and saying, we want the temple, we want the law, we want the animal sacrifices, that he's showing them that what they're doing is exactly what their fathers have always done. And toward the end of his sermon, he's going to say, which one of your fathers did persecute the prophets? And so he's showing them, he said, look, Joseph came and he was chosen of God. He was given dreams. He was given God's word. He was given God's message. And your fathers rejected him, threw him in a pit, sent him to Egypt. And God was with Joseph in Egypt. And so God was with him in such a way that in order to get salvation, in order to get deliverance from a famine that had happened in the Holy Land, it wasn't promised land. They hadn't received the promised land yet. But they were living in it as aliens and foreigners. And so he said, a famine happened in the land. And in order for salvation to come, where did Israel have to move to? Egypt. They had to move to Egypt. And so he's saying, look, your land is so great, but God brought salvation in Egypt. 
God brought salvation not through the dirt that you're standing on. God brought salvation through His man, through His word, through the one that He has chosen. And he is, uh, he, He's setting up, He's comparing Joseph to Jesus. They're doing the exact same things that they had done before. The brothers rejected Joseph just like you guys are rejecting Jesus. And God was with Joseph just like God is with Jesus in his teaching and his, his message. And he rejected the brothers who ended up having to leave their land and go to Egypt. And he's rejected you because you've rejected Christ. That's the comparison that he's drawing. He's going to make it more explicit uh, toward the end. And so they went, to, they went to Egypt. Verse 11 says, Now there came a dearth. What's a dearth? Famine. It's a famine, that's right. There, there came a, a famine over the land of Egypt and, and Canaan, and a great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. That's important, first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren. And Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Now, remember, 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 remember. This is not just a history lesson. Who's speaking these words? Stephen. Stephen. He, this is not just us learning about Joseph and learning what happened and learning about Egypt. We are hearing Stephen speak to the religious leaders and we have to understand what Stephen is trying to say to the religious leaders. It's easy for us to get lost into the preaching about Abraham and talk about Abraham's life and Joseph's life and all these things. Yes? Would you be safe to say that the history is kind of dead but uh, the message is alive? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not, not, it depends on what you mean by that. He, his, he is telling them the history, but he's using it to preach the gospel to them. He's telling them that, that all through history, they have their fathers, their kindred have done exactly what they're doing. All through history, when God sends a messenger, when God sends someone with His word, the, the patriarchs, the family of Israel have rejected it. In fact, at the end, He's going to say, when have you not rejected it? You're doing exactly what your, your fathers have always done. It's a family tradition, is, is what He's going to say. And so, famine in the land... Out of the land, they're, they're, they're going out of the land to, uh, to uh, find bread. And they did not recognize Jake, uh, Joseph the first time, but they did the second time. Now, if we're comparing, if he's comparing Joseph to Jesus, what is that? Does that tell you anything about what these guys... Stephen's kind of implying something right here. If you don't know the story, Joseph was in disguise, not in disguise, but it had been 20, 30 years since they saw him. And so when they went down to get grain in Egypt, Joseph was over all of the grain in Egypt, and he was standing there handing out grain. And when his brothers came to get grain, Joseph recognized the brothers, but the brothers didn't recognize Joseph. He was probably clean-shaven. That's the way the Egyptians wore it. And so he, they didn't recognize who he is. So Joseph played a little prank on him. It's not really a prank, but he, he, he desired to see his brother that he had never seen. He desired to see his father and so he was seeing if his, his brother's hearts had changed I could go in and preach that whole story but I'm not going to the point he's making is that he said Stephen said the first time that they came they didn't recognize Joseph but the second time they did recognize him what does he say the first time this Sanhedrin here who they, who did they didn't recognize Jennifer's nodding please answer <laughs> they didn't recognize Jesus, they didn't recognize Jesus. But the second time they will. Sure. What, what does it say? 
at the second time, what's going to happen? Every knee's going to bow. They'll recognize the one they've pierced. I mean, you go through it. It's a lot of, lot of promises, a lot of, lot of warnings. He's saying, look, they didn't, just like, just like y'all, your family didn't recognize Joseph the first time, they recognized him the second time. It's kind of like an underhanded jab, like tell them, you're going to recognize Jesus. And so he goes from there to, uh, it's already 10 o'clock, man. It says, uh, verse, what verse are we on? 14. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, three score and fifteen souls, seventy-five people. Uh, so Jacob went down into Egypt and died. He and our father. He's saying Israel, Jacob, who is Israel, all of them, all seventy-five of them, you read Exodus, it's the seventy-five people came and they grew in number as they were in Egypt. He said, but all of them had to flee this holy land that y'all are so, you know, over thinking that this is, where, this is where God's presence dwells. He said, when, you're, when your fathers, the 12 patriarchs, uh, Jacob's uh, sons, when they were living in the Holy Land, God was with Joseph in Egypt so that they had to leave the Holy Land to go to Egypt in order to be saved, in order to be delivered. He says, so he, he's telling them, he's showing them that it's about God's people, not about God's land or God's temple and all those things. So Jacob went down there and died. And then verse 16 says, and were carried over into Shechem. It says Sychem, but it's Shechem. And laid in the sepulcher. What's the sepulcher? <coughs> Grave. That Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. Uh, and then I'll stop there for a second. So he's saying, yeah, your fathers did own a plot of the Holy Land. What was it? Yeah, they're grave. <laughs> That's the only piece of the Holy Land that your fathers owned, was their grave. That was the only time that they owned some Holy Land. Everything else, they were just wandering. So remember, stay focused on the point that he's making. He's making the point that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. God does not dwell on this section of dirt rather than that section of dirt. God does not dwell in a single place at a single time just because this place is more holy than that place. God dwells with His people. God dwells with His people wherever they're at. When Abraham's in Mesopotamia, God appeared to him and said, this is what I want you to do. When Abraham moved down to Egypt, God appeared to him and said, this is what I want you to do. When the brothers and all of them lived on the Holy Land, they were strangers and aliens in it. God sent a message through Joseph. This is what's going to happen. This is my word. The brothers rejected it and sent Joseph to Egypt. Where was God? I mean, God's everywhere, but it says God was with Joseph in Egypt. So it wasn't about, ooh, look at this holy land. Ooh, look at this temple. Look at these sacrifices. This is where God is doing all his stuff. It wasn't about that at all. It was God was with his people. And the point Stephen's going to make is that God is with Christ. God, the Father is with the Son. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. And so that's the point that he's making. You can't hold on to your temple. You can't hold on to your holy land. You can't hold on to your holy sacrifices. You can't hold on to the law as to make you right with God. You can't hold on to any of this stuff because it's all pointing to one fulfillment. And that fulfillment has come. It's Jesus Christ. And he is the one who we hold on to. Does that make sense? Y'all see what Stephen's trying to say? All right. The longest section in this sermon, which will be the last thing we look at, is Moses. Stephen was charged with speaking against Moses and speaking against the law. And so <clears throat> the point that he's made so far is that 
we don't back before there was a temple, back before there was a promised land, God was active. God was moving. God was with his people. And so in verse 17 and 18, it says, but when the time of promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. That was the promise that he made till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end. They might not live. What's that? What are you talking about? They were killing all the kids, killing all the Hebrew babies. That's what Pharaoh was doing. Uh, In which time Moses was born. Where was Moses born? Was he born in the Holy Land? No, he was born in Egypt. And was exceedingly fair and nursed up in his father's house three months. The Hebrews thought, this is the holy place. We have the holy culture. Anything outside of this is pagan. Y'all just a bunch of pagans. When I'm... He's saying, look, the greatest deliverer that y'all say that y'all have, Moses, was raised in a Hebrew home for three months. Then what happened? His mother chunked him in the river. Well, in a basket, you know, so hoping somebody finds him. She didn't really chunk him. I don't know how she, I don't know if she had the backswing going on. Anyway, so what happened when Moses was in the river? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop reading a minute. Y'all just tell me the story. Pharaoh's daughter found him. Took him into her home. Raised him. Raised him. As her son. As her son. Moses, the greatest deliverer that the people had ever known, as far as the Jews were concerned, was not raised in a Hebrew home. He was not raised in a Hebrew culture. He was not raised in a Hebrew education. Talk about a pagan education system. Moses was raised Egyptian. He was raised completely Egyptian. He had no benefit of living in a Hebrew home, having Hebrew nothing. He was completely, by, by all intents and purposes, he was Egyptian. He was raised that way, educated that way. He was a man of great power. He was Egyptian. But God came and spoke to him in Egypt without the benefit of all of the Hebrew culture, without the benefit of all the, the, the learning and all that stuff of the Hebrews. He was, he was God spoke to him and... Uh, and uh, Brought, made him a deliverer of Egypt. So let's skip down to uh, let's skip down to twenty three. He says, when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, children of Israel. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Remember that story that he killed the Egyptian, and it says. Uh, For he supposed, now here we get an insight into Moses' heart that Stephen gives us that we don't really get from Genesis or Exodus. It says, and seeing one of them suffer, no, I already read that. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. Do you see the pattern? What happened to Joseph? God's man, given God's word. What did Israel do to him? Beat him, threw him in a pit, sold him into Egypt. Moses, God raised up a deliverer. He tried to deliver the people. What did Israel do to him? They rejected him. They rejected him. They said, who are you? Who are you? Why are you doing that? Look at the next verses. He says, and the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at once saying, again saying, sirs, you brethren, why do you do wrong to one another? What happened was they were fighting with each other. He says, why are y'all doing this? Y'all are brothers. Don't do this to each other. And the, one of the Israelites says, but he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge over, over us? So they, he said, will you kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses 
at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. Okay? So they rejected him, threw him away. I know it's, I, I told you it was long. It's a long sermon. It's the longest sermon in Acts. And so Stephen is going on and on and on and on and on. By this time, if I'm in the Sanhedrin, one of the Jewish men, I'm really getting ticked off. I've about had all I can stand. I mean, he is basically telling me that my whole history, my whole tradition, my whole birthright, my whole way of life, my whole religion has been pointing to this dead guy who was crucified on a cross. And it's really making me upset. And I'm about getting tired of it. And that's what I'm thinking if I'm one of these Jewish guys. And so he's telling them, look, your father's rejected Joseph. Your father's rejected Moses. But what happened? I'm not going to read the rest. What happened? Moses in the desert, what happened to him? He said, forget all this. I'm going to the desert. I'm going to be a sheep herder. And what happened? God came to him and what? Told him to go back to Egypt and give his people. He did. That's exactly what he told him. Let my people go. How did he appear to him? In a burning bush. And when the burning bush came, what did God say to Moses? First thing he said. Take your shoes off. Why? Because you're standing on holy ground. Where was holy ground when Moses was in the desert? Wherever God was. See, look how smart y'all are. The point Stephen's making, holy ground is not where you're standing, Mr. Sanhedrin. Holy ground has been always wherever God was. God can make a bush holy ground in the desert of Midian if He wants to. When God appeared to Joshua, He told him the same thing right before they went into battle. Take off your shoes, son. You're standing on holy ground. So God's holy ground is wherever God's presence is. And God's presence is not in this temple. It's not in the sacrifice. It's not. It's with His people. When the people go to Mesopotamia, God's presence is with them. When the people go to Egypt, God's presence is with them. When the people go to Midian, way out in the desert, when nobody's there, God's presence is with them. And so God did exactly what Miss Judy said. She said, I want you to go back and I want you to say, let my people go. And uh, God God commissioned Moses... And verse, uh, skip down to 34. This is God. Uh, uh, then said the Lord unto him, 33, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused. Who is they? Yeah, that's right, Israel, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be what? A ruler ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. That word deliverer is also translated all through the New Testament as Savior. It's used of Jesus countless times. He's comparing Moses again to Jesus, just like he did with Joseph, just like he did with all these others. So it says, so it says, Moses, he says, you love Moses, you love Abraham. All these men were not holding on to God because of holy, a holy place or a holy temple or a holy sacrifice. They were in God's presence and right with God by grace through faith in a promise that was coming, and that promise is now here. That's what Stephen's trying to tell them. Skip down to, uh, well, the last few verses, and then we'll go. It says, this, this is that Moses which 
the, to the children of Israel, a prophet of the Lord, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear. Who's that prophet? That was a quote from Deuteronomy where Moses said, look, God's going to raise up another prophet just like me. And when that prophet comes, you better listen to him. Who was he, ta- who was he talking about? Jesus. That's exactly who he was talking about. That's who exactly who Stephen says that he was talking about. And so what is Stephen implying? They didn't listen to him and you're not listening That's exactly what he's saying. But he's also saying, by not following Jesus, you're not obeying Moses. This guy that you love so much, the guy that you said that you're following. By not obeying Jesus, you're not obeying Moses. Verse 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers who received the lively oracles who gave them to us. What was given to Moses for the people? Huh? The Ten Commandments. That's exactly right. To whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. How did they turn back to Egypt? I'm going to stop reading right there for real. That's exactly right. And Stephen, if you keep reading, he'll bring that up. He says, look, your fathers rejected your your fathers rejected Joseph, God's man. And God was with Joseph in Egypt. Your fathers rejected Moses when he tried to deliver them the first time. And God came to Moses in the desert, holy ground, in the desert. Then when Moses finally did deliver y'all by God's hand out of Egypt, he, he brought you all the way down to Mount Sinai. God spoke to you from the mountain, gave you ten commandments, and you rejected that. And you built instead this golden calf that you worshipped at the foot of Mount Sinai. So the point he's going to be coming to, and he's going to keep talking about the tabernacle and all that. And then at the end, he's going to come and he's going to say, look, you guys have always rejected God's man. You guys have always rejected God's messenger. And you're doing it again. By rejecting Jesus. And they rushed upon him. And we're going to see at the end. We're going to see next week that they they stoned him to death. They killed him because of what he said. And because of what Stephen did. Remember last week we talked about how Stephen's job was not just a little menial task. He wasn't just a waiter. He wasn't just somebody who did the job nobody else wanted. Because of what Stephen did, the church was spread out outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, into Samaria, into other parts of the country, and the gospel began to grow because of what Stephen said. The the church started being persecuted. People started understanding, hey, this is not just a normal little sect of religion. This is a a whole new thing here. This is a whole new deal. They're, They're worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus as God, as the fulfillment of all these things. And we need, to, we need to get rid of that. And we're going to meet a man named Saul who, who took it upon himself to, uh, to get rid of all those things. But Stephen's point in all this, and we're going to see this so much clearer. I wish I could have got to the, the, uh, the point of it all today, but I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to. Uh, Stephen's point in all this is that God doesn't just dwell in these, these man-made buildings. God doesn't just dwell on this plot of ground rather than that plot of ground. God doesn't dwell in all these different things, these different places. He dwells with His people. Wherever His people are, wherever His people are gathered, wherever he, wherever they are, that's where He is. And wherever He is, that's holy ground. Amen. 
Okay? There's a, I, I remember one, one guy saying one time, he was a pastor from somewhere, and, and somebody said, y'all going to take a trip to the Holy Land? He said, well, where is that? He said, what is the Holy Land? You know, of course, he was talking about Israel and all that. And I mean, that'd be cool to go. I'd like to go to see all those things. But that place over there is not, it's not any more holy than this right here. Amen. Because where God's people is, where, where they gather, where Christ is, where two or more gather in my name, Jesus said, I'll be there with you. I will be there with you. And wherever his presence is, that's where, that's where we need to take off our shoes because that's where holy ground is. Does that make sense? Is there any questions? Sure. Is Stan still preaching to a big crowd here? I think that he is just preaching to, it's 70 people, 70, 72 people. I think he is inside the temple. He is, it's kind of like a, a trial. They're all sitting around him and he's standing in the midst of them. And it's really funny. What he does is he's, he's actually going to turn it around so that by the time it's over, they're all on trial and they're guilty. And they're going to get so mad, they're going to drag him out outside the city and they're going to kill him. Yeah, because you kind of get a feeling that this is some kind of enclosed, yeah. smaller group. Yeah, they arrested him and they brought him in for... They brought him in for trial. Remember, because think back to what we were talking about before. He was going from synagogue to synagogue helping people. You know, that was his job was to give widows food and that kind of thing. And, and when he would do that, he would argue with the, yeah, he would preach and they would oppose him. The synagogue leaders and people in the synagogue would oppose him and he would get into arguments with them. And so finally, they just went to the, they went and told him. To the Sanhedrin and they brought him in for question and they thought that it was going to be simple. I mean imagine, you're, you're Stephen it's, it's way time to go I'm sure oh yeah, you're Stephen, you're standing in the place where just a few months earlier Jesus stood right here where you are and they end up killing him, you know, and so they probably thought well, we're just going to muscle this guy down and we're, you know, he, when he realizes how much trouble he's in, he's just going to back off and Stephen, not only did he not back off, by the end of this sermon, he, I mean, he's calling them out. He started off men and brothers, father, our fathers, and he started off that way. But he's going to end up, you killed him, and you're just like all your fathers before you. And they're going to be so mad, it's just hilarious to me to see grown men with their fingers in their ears. I mean, it actually says they put their fingers in their ears and ran at him to kill him. And so, the, it's just amazing. Is there anything else? Okay. Uh, we're going to finish Stephen's sermon next week. I know it's really long. It's like 60 verses. I wish I could have got it done uh, in one shot. But we'll do it next week and we'll get to see Stephen get killed. I mean, not that that's like, <laughs> not like that's the high point or whatever. But we'll get, to see, we'll get to see Stephen's reaction. Hey, when he dies, it's really, I mean... Anybody dying is not a beautiful thing, but to see the peace this guy has when he dies after he has done... I mean, he, he, he lit a hand grenade. I don't guess you light hand grenades, but he took a hand grenade and he rolled it into the temple uh, and blew all this confusion and anger up. And then as they're killing him, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody get stoned to death. There's some over in the Middle East that are, have videos of it, but it's an awful, awful, painful thing. He's standing there in the midst and has peace saying, look, I see the heavens open and I see Jesus right. seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. You know, and when he said that, 
I mean, they just went nuts. I mean, it's, it's just, it's really instructive for us. So we'll look at that next week, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings and your mercies. We just ask that you would be with us, God, and help us.